And um, yeah, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where today uh, we're going to finish the chapter by looking uh, at Paul's exhortation to the church and us today to stand firm in the midst of what we've seen, uh, the trial of persecution, uh, in the midst of, uh, man, the uh, the reality of false teaching that they're experiencing, and Paul's been combating, uh, not only in this letter, but in a previous, in the, the first letter that he wrote. Uh, but also, uh, man, when you mix those things together, and we all get this, right? Like, man, when life happens, when you, you go through struggle, you go through hardship, maybe, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, you're wrestling with uh, just the reality of uh, maybe something you once believed that's not uh, correct as you've read scripture, like even, even those things. Uh, the temptation at times, I think we're, if we're honest, right, is to run. Uh, it's to get out of dodge. It's to, and I'm not, I, I don't mean just, uh, you know, that you're going to run away like to some other city or town. Maybe you do. Uh, it didn't work out well for Jonah. Uh, but, uh, you, you want to do that, right? Like I want to go, I want to maybe numb out or I want to check out. Like that's what I often do. Like I want to check out. I scroll a whole lot more. Because I'm looking for quick relief or whatever it is. But uh, what we see in, in Paul in his writing to this church, uh, and I think as we look at our own lives, that as we deal with this, man, we're all dealt with that temptation of, man, uh, man, either turn away or turn to something else. And so we've seen this throughout the letter. And really, uh, the reason we've worked through this is because, man, as a people who, as we entitled the series, live in the now but long for the future, like we wrestle with that reality. Like while we know that, man, what the future holds, that victory has been won, and and that Jesus, man, he will return, he will make all things new, we still live in the now, and in the now at times it's not easy. And so what we've seen from these, really these two letters, but particularly last week what we saw is that, man, large portions of the letters to the, Thess- the church in Thessalonica have focused on future things, right? Like they're talking about, man, when Christ returns and what that's going to look like and what that means. And while we don't fully understand or fully know the ins and outs of all of that, I believe that, man... Um, Really, their focus is to do two things. One, it's to give these people hope and us hope, right? It's to, uh, man, you know, in doing that, combating the false teaching. But also, I believe that, man, the focus that we see on future things in these letters is to ground us in the present. As a people who don't just make it, but live daily radical lives of faith, right? Right? How many of you understand, like, sometimes, like, we just, like, some of you, you're just like, I just made it here. Like, I just made it. And so I'm not saying, like, hey, if you just made it today, you should be ashamed. That's not what I'm after. What I'm saying, when we talk about, man, the future of what, man, the gospel has for us in Christ's return, like, guess what? Like, uh, we don't just sit there and say, well, we just got to make it till then. No, we live in the now today, and I believe that it should spur us, because we know how it ends, living radical lives of faith on a daily basis. And so what we see is that Paul has done three things in this letter. First, he sought to encourage us. He sought to encourage the church in Thessalonica and us today. He, he sought to combat threats, right? Threats of false teaching. But also, he presents hope for life now. 
So last week, if you were with us, Paul addressed this false teaching that had arisen, that Jesus had already come back. There was a letter being circulated that, that, that said it was from Paul. Paul says, hey, any letter you receive, any teaching you receive that's not what was already taught to you, man, discount it. It's not correct. He says, don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed concerning the things that you've been taught about the return of Jesus. Rather, remember, and he says there's two things going to happen before Jesus returns. There's going to be a great rebellion within the church, right? Where people who claim to be followers of Jesus but really weren't, they will apostatize or turn away rejecting Jesus. And then following that, there will be the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. And I'm not going to go into the ins and outs, the who's, the what's, the when's of the Antichrist. But the Antichrist will come to mimic all that Jesus was and all that Jesus is going to be. But, I love what we saw in the text last week, he will fail because when Jesus comes... It says that he comes and he will kill him with the breath of his mouth. So it will be like blowing dust off his shoulder. And then he, he will bring him to nothing at his appearance. Which is good news. Like, you know, we, we think it's going to be like a 12-round bout between Jesus and, and, and Satan. But guess what? No. Like, he's going to be brought to nothing when Jesus appears. Boom. He's gone. He's done. Jesus is making all things new. You see, what we find in our time today, after all that Paul has laid out, is really what Paul's going to do today. He's going to lay out a call to keep going that is rooted in our very identity as followers of Jesus, whose lives have been transformed by the gospel. Because again, the good news of Jesus is our only hope. It's our only hope for salvation. It's our only hope for living. It's our only hope for eternity. You see, we have uh, those whose lives have been transformed by the gospel. Man, he's going to root us in this identity in ways that I hope encourage us in the face of threats and are a present hope and stability for our lives today. So whether you came in and you were early or you came in just making it, man, my hope is that the good news would, would man, it would encourage you today and that you would, we, we as God's people would stand firm. And so as we think about this, I want to just have an honest moment because uh, as we've worked through these letters, which I've loved going through Thessalonians, like it is, it's been just such a good time. It's stretched me, um, man, it's pressed me on a lot of things in a lot of different areas. But man, if I'm going to be honest, as I've read really Paul's responses to the threats facing the church in this letter, there have been moments when if I'm honest, I, I felt, and I don't think letdown's the right word, but I want maybe a little more relief, right? And, and I don't know that where the church in Thessalonica found themselves, but really what Paul does is he says, hey, you're being persecuted. It's going to be okay. Jesus is going to make all things new. Man, just keep going. Stand firm, right? And if it's me, I'm like, well, but I want a little relief. When? How? Like, is it tomorrow or things going to get better? Or, you know, he says, well, we know Jesus is going to return, but uh, we don't know when or how, but really just live life for today. And it's like, that's great. And I hold on to that and it's hope for today. But I want a little more relief. There's moments that, that, man, uh, when Paul is seeking to encourage and present hope to the church that I find, man, myself just feeling, oh, can I just have a little more? Can you just give me one little thing, just one more thing, to give me some tangible relief from the trouble I'm facing right now? 
You see, while I know that is never promised, while I know from Scripture that is not guaranteed, actually I know that Jesus said that, that, that what would happen is that we, in the world we would have trouble, but we are to take heart. Man, if I'm honest, like my flesh wants temporary relief. And in your life, like do you find yourself like faced with something? You're like, look, I know this is hard, but if I could just get just some temporary relief. But man, I believe that like that discounts what God wants to do in you and through you. And because God is good and loving and gracious and merciful and cares about us way more than we even care about or know how to care about ourselves and others, then he won't allow that. You see, while we want temporary relief, man, God is after, man. That's what we, I would term as like gospel relief. You see, I want relief from my trouble now. And when I read Paul, sometimes I'm reminded of the responses uh, that, man, I even think I got growing up at times. I shared one of them with you a couple of weeks ago where I said, you know, in my family, something bad happens. They would look at you and say, well, Kyle, you win some, you lose some. Most of you, you lose some and then you die. And that would be it, right? Like, good luck, go. And and it wasn't helpful, okay? Uh, Don't try it. But another one that I thought of this week, that, that when said to me, I was like, yeah, but I wish I could just get a little bit of relief, was when something would happen, they would look at me and say, be tough. Which I want to say this. I think we need to be tougher, okay? Like I say, that that phrase I say to my children, like, hey, you just got to be tougher. Like you got to be tough. But, and the reason I hone in on that is because a lot of times when we say that, what we're really saying is, hey, you need to have, you need to have strength in yourself. So when something happens, when a problem arises, we just say, just be tough. If you want a churchy way we've done this, I, I, some of you know, like when my, my mother passed away, I, I, was a, I was a wreck. I was in ministry, and I was a part of a church, and I was on staff, and I was a wreck. I didn't know what to do uh, with myself. I didn't even know I was really grieving. And I got set down around Christmas time, uh, and they sent me down and said, Hey, Kyle, we don't know what's going on with you. We know you're struggling, but you just need to have joy. They thought that was relief, but guess what? It brought no relief. What I really felt was, hey, you should be ashamed that you don't have enough faith to press through. Any of you ever feel like that? You know, like, this is what I need, but... And so when we say things like that, at times what we're really doing in meaning well is we're pushing something on someone or on ourselves that's really just saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do better, do more, do enough, smile, get after it, but it's all in our own strength. But we just sang about this reality, like, no, like, I, I'm, I'm broken, I'm in need, like, there's, I can't produce that in myself. I need a greater strength. You see, I think Paul gets this, which is why he takes some time at the end of chapter 2 to reinforce faith, hope, and love in the lives of these people uh, who in the midst of persecution, in the midst of false teaching, in the midst of this temptation to turn away from Christ and are probably longing for some temporary relief, even though they know how the story ends. Like, Paul gets where they are. He understands this and he's going to address this in our time today. You see, what Paul's going to want to, he's going to try to do today is he's seeking to encourage by comforting and building confidence. Both comforting, but also saying, hey, have confidence in this comfort. 
By strengthening the church in hope for today so that we uh, might then live radical lives of faith even when momentary relief doesn't arrive. Because in the words of Jesus, he says, in this world you'll have trouble, but what? Take heart. He says, I have overcome the world. And what that means like for us today, what that leads to, what the good news of the gospel does is it transforms a life. And then we become overcomers, not in our own strength, but through Jesus. And so let's look now at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Okay, so Paul, in seeking to encourage this young church in the midst of all they are facing, uh, from the concerns of the future to the hope of the... He, he moves from the concerns of the future to the hope of today in the first half of verse 13. And he does it in two ways. The first way begins... The first way we see it is that Paul presents the saving work of God in the midst of hardship. And he does it simply with the word, but... So Paul shares all this stuff and he's like, hey, you're going through persecution. It's gotten worse, uh, you know, and, and uh, he, he talks about that. And then he says, hey, you're, you're being presented with this false teaching, but. See, what Paul wants to do and what Paul's thanksgiving is rooted in is this reality that God not only, that God not only does the work of salvation, he also does the work of securing. What Paul wants us to understand today is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And it's He is the one who saves us, but also we are secure by grace in Jesus. It's not you're saved by grace. Now, if you want to stay secure, good luck. It's like, no, He does it all. And salvation by God is, and we, you know, when we talk about the gospel, we say, man, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. You are being saved from the power of sin through sanctification, and you one day will be saved from the very presence of sin when Jesus returns. It's an A to Z salvation. And I believe that that, like up front, should bring great hope and relief in the midst of where we find ourselves today. You see, what that does, the, the, the overflow of that is thanksgiving. We get the same phrase that we saw in chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul says, we ought give thanks. And Paul's not begrudgingly saying, look, if I'm going to have to give thanks, I'll give thanks. No, that ought there is, he's like, no, this is a natural response to what Jesus has done. But again, the focus of the thanksgiving is not on the people, but on God who saves and in doing so bears confidence in Paul for this group of believers who are loved by God. The reason we know that is because he uses the term brothers and and also the term, the identity statement of beloved. He says, brothers and sisters, your identity and confidence is this, that you are not apostate. That you you haven't turned from it. And even so, continue on. What Paul then does is what some writers have described as the gospel in miniature. 
where he calls believers to remember the work of salvation that has taken place in their lives. You see, what I think Paul is trying to do is to remind those to whom he is writing and us today that ultimately our lives are not to be concerned with what we face today, but on who faced death for us and came out victorious. The call in this text is to remember whose we are and why we are His because in doing so, we move from a need for relief to confidence in Christ no matter the situation we face. And we do this in three ways according to the text. We sit in the salvation we receive from God. We walk out our salvation as the Spirit sanctifies us and we stand upon the firm foundation of Christ in the face of every threat. And so that's what I want to do with most of the rest of our time is talking about what does it look like to sit, walk, and stand. So we sit in the salvation we receive from God. The first way that we find our comfort and confidence in the face of threats is by remembering that as followers of Jesus, we have been chosen by God for He is the one who ignites our faith, establishes our faith, and as I've already said, He secures our faith through any and all things. So we can sit knowing that He has provided not only the faith that saves us, but the same faith that saves us also gives us hope. That allows us to sit, to be at rest. Have you ever had those moments? I I think that, man, we need to recognize it when we do. And man, thank God for it. When chaos is going on around us. And we're not checked out, but we're at rest. There's a big difference there, okay? Because some of you are like, yeah, every day when I get home. I, you know, it's like chaos is going on around me, but you're just... Man, it's ocean waves in here, right? Like, I'm just sitting... No, that's not what I'm talking about. That's probably laziness. Uh, uh, no, what, what Paul is saying here is that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of everything seeming like it's going wrong, man, you are fully aware. You're in touch with the reality of what's happening. And you're at rest because your faith is not in the situation, but Jesus. This is what it means to sit. And the reason we can sit is because we know that we are secure as beloved sons and daughters of the King. The reason we know that Jesus is King is because guess what? What did Jesus do? He sat. Like when Jesus, after he hung on the cross, he said it is finished. The the marker of it being finished is when he ascends and goes to heaven. What does he do? Sits at the right hand of the Father. Which is a position of rest that the work was done. You see in the Old Testament and through, uh, man, uh, Jewish priesthood, the Jewish priests never sat down. Because the work was never done. But Jesus says, look, I'm the one sitting. I'm the one that saves. I'm the one that secures. I'm the one that sanctifies. I'm the one that's going to see it through to the end. Guess what? You can rest. He says, the reason we know this, the reason we have hope in this is because for the followers of Jesus are the first fruits, the product of God's love made known through Christ. And because of this, and Paul writes about this in Romans 8, uh, in Romans 8 is one of those passages, there's some, I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of how it comes about, but in Romans 8, Paul says, we who were called according to his purposes, whom he foreknew and predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, and being called, he says, we are justified. And in being justified, he says, we have hope knowing we too will be glorified. We can sit in it. 
And so the first way that we have hope in the face of any circumstance, Paul says, is that we need to remind ourselves, but we need to remind one another continually that we sit securely as God's chosen and beloved children. And today in your life, aside from the Spirit of God and His Word, do you have someone that says, hey, I think you need to sit down. We're in basketball season right now, and I have a hard time sitting down. And yesterday, Haley looked at me and she said, hey, she didn't say sit, but she said, calm down a little bit. Because I'm trying to coach, right? Like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, you need to be there. Go there. No, don't do that. But I just need to, no, it, I can't control it. I need to just sit and enjoy it. So secondly, we know that we are secure in Christ as, and Paul writes, as we live or walk in the Spirit's sanctifying work in our lives. A few weeks ago, I think it was week two of Second Thessalonians, I defined sanctification. Pastor Eric Mason defined sanctification as the process whereby God makes the believer progressively holy. We, Mason says, are redeemed by Jesus, but we are still raggedy. And so God uses things to sanctify us. He uses His Word. He uses other believers. He uses suffering. As we see throughout Thessalonians, also He uses the Spirit of God who convicts us of sin and grows us in holiness. You see, Paul focuses here on sanctification of the Spirit and how it works in our lives to bring transformation, security, and hope today. Well, one writer said that the Christian salvation is rooted in eternity, past, but lived out in the power that comes from the Holy Spirit today. It's this focus of walking in the Spirit's power that Paul focuses on here in the text. And again, the goal is to remind us in the face of threats, temptation, and even suffering, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Therefore, we walk out our lives of faith by the power of the Spirit who uses, as we see, all things, good and bad, to sanctify us and make us more into the image of Jesus. Now, I love the picture, the the, the tension that we get here, that, that as God's people, we are both sitting and walking. Sitting and walking, and they, they, they both can happen at the same time. Because it reveals that our rest and identity is not one of stagnation, but of progress. You see, a lot of people, when they think of rest, they think of doing nothing. Now, guess what? You do nothing to earn your salvation. Nothing. You can't work for it. But, but guess what, man? When you experience the work of Jesus in your life, you're going to do something. Rest and identity is not one of stagnation, but of progress. If you don't believe in Jesus and Matthew, we've, I talked about this in Men's Equip a couple of weeks ago. We've been reading through Matthew. Uh, Jesus, when he says, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will what? I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? That rest that we're called to sit in is the reality of the finished work of Jesus. But that word for rest there in the Greek means this. It means to rejuvenate, to reinvigorate, and to refresh. It is purposeful rest that is meant to be walked out. 
This is how we display walking out sanctification by the Spirit. But we also do it, Paul says, by belief in the truth and not the deception that is being proclaimed to the church in Thessalonica and us today. So if you remember, you know, the, the, the threat, the false teaching that's come forward is that Jesus has already come. Now we sit here today and say, well, Jesus hasn't already come because it's been years and years and years since this text was written and Paul refuted it. We long for the day though. And so what do we do for today? Well, I think that what we have to realize is we, as God's people, are not to be deceived today. And it's really easy to be deceived. I mean, you can fill in the blank. Like we could spend the rest of our time and I could say, hey, what are the things in the world around you that are trying to deceive you? Begin with you, right? Like no one lies to you more than you do at times because guess what? No one talks to you more than you do. But like we could go over, like fill in the blank, like buffet-style faith. I want this part of Jesus, but not this part of Jesus. Deception. Jesus wants you happy, healthy, and wealthy. Deception. This idea of Jesus, what have you done for me lately? And if you haven't done anything for me lately or anything I I like for me lately, I'm going to go to something that can. No, you see, Jesus wants you secure in God and sanctified the Spirit. And then we get to point three, standing upon the firm foundation of Christ in the face of every threat. So Paul says in verse 14, which points us back to the reality that we've seen, That we've been called not only out of darkness and into light, but that we've been called into the work of displaying the gospel light into the darkness around us until we obtain, Paul says, the fullness of glory that will come at the end. And it's because of all that, Paul says, he says, stand firm. Stand firm. Paul Paul doesn't say, in light of all this, relax. Rather, he says, stand firm and hold on. Now, now the word for stand firm there, that that phrase is not have grit in yourself. Paul's not saying, hey, be tough. Suck it up. I know it's hard. Stand firm. Man, you might want to start working out a little bit. Like, that's not what Paul's after here. He's not saying have grit in yourself. Rather, he says, stand firm upon the foundation of what Jesus has done. Watchman Nee, who was a Chinese evangelist, said that in Christ we are conquerors, nay, more than conquerors, Romans 8.37. In Him, therefore, we stand. Thus today, Nee says, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. We do not fight in order to win, but because in Christ we have already won. This is what Paul is presenting to us in this text when he says, stand firm and hold on. He's calling us to remember who we are in Christ and that our inness is due to His victory, not our own. Therefore, stand firm and hold fast, which is that sea, seafaring terminology that when a gale would come or the wind and the waves would crash down, they would grab on and they would hold on and say, okay, it's time to stand firm and hold fast. So how do we do that? Like, how, like church, like today, how do we stand firm and what do we hold on to? Well, Paul answers the question. He says, the traditions you were taught. The word tradition means truth here that was handed down as if it was tradition. So as we look at the scriptures, what we see is this was truth that was handed down as tradition. 
and was written, and, and, and this is the word of truth. This is the tradition that we go on. And it's to be passed down. And so today, do you want to stand firm and hold on? And the answer is get in here. Quit looking elsewhere. You don't need another self-help talk. You don't need another 15 ways to whatever. Those things can be good. But get in here. Start here. Live here. Die here. You see, I think one of the the biggest problems that we have in the church today is what we would term as biblical illiteracy. That, That we don't know the word. Now you might know a song and can be able to just sing me all 66 books of the Bible. You might be able to name me all 12 disciples. You might be able to tell me a couple of parables, but, but man, you don't know it, know it. You see, in the church, I think two things have happened. One, man, pastors ha- have decided that the best way to do things is to just relay information to people so that they might then regurgitate it in a moment's notice, which I don't believe works that well. But on the other side, I believe, man, the church and church culture has, uh, they've decided, man, I just want words relayed to me so that I might be able to regurgitate it when needed. It doesn't work very well. I heard a story this week. Uh, I saw a clip uh, of a podcast. So, in professional sports, podcasts and like professional athletes, like their podcasts have become really popular, right? So like the Kelsey brothers, like they started a podcast and that's why Taylor Swift is so popular now because they started this podcast, right? And like she got all this fame because now she's dating Travis Kelsey and it's, it's just happened that way, right? So they, they like, everybody's doing a podcast now though, right? Like, uh, you know, and so one of them that's come out is Julian Edelman. Uh, if you don't know sports, Julian Edelman was a wide receiver for the Patriots. Uh, and the other day, he had Danny Amendola, who's another wide receiver for the Patriots, Texas Tech product, wreck him. Uh, and he, they were talking about when they would play wide receiver together. And what would happen is they were talking about this instance where they would call it seeing stars. So when you get concussions, you see some stars, right? And they had made, they didn't want to go out of the game though. But they knew they were going to be asked questions. And they kind of knew what the questions were. And so they said, hey, if you see me get knocked out and see stars, you need to immediately run to me, pick me up, and relay some information to me. And so what they would do is they'd pick the person up really quick before the ref got there, before they got to the, uh, the other doctors, and they would say, okay, the, the score is 27 to 13. We're playing in Foxborough. We're playing the, the, the Ravens for the AFC championship game. Today is February 28th. Uh, it's the fourth quarter, and here's how much time's left. And so they would relay all this information, and guess what? When they got to the sideline, the, the, the doctor would come up and they would immediately, before the doctor could ask, they would regurgitate everything they just heard. So that they could stay in the game. But guess what? That's so, so dangerous. They couldn't tell their right hand from their left, a, a, a post from a go, like, but they, they wanted to stay in it. It's dangerous. But have we not done the same thing at times, church? Relay me the information. 
so that I can just regurgitate it, but you, you know nothing of the word. It's dangerous. You see, the way we stand firm in the face of persecution, false teaching, and temptation, Paul says, is to remember our security in Christ and hold on to the truth found in the Word of God. So get in the Word. Get in the Word in the context of community. Sit in your identity today. Walk out your sanctification. Remind yourself and others of the hope of the Word that bears the good news of the Gospel and is only found in Jesus. You see, this is the foundation we see for Paul's prayer at the end of 2. And so let's close out with 16 and 17. Paul says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. All right, so Paul, following his call to remember one's identity and to stand firm and hold on to the truth in the face of whatever, he takes a moment to pray for those to whom he's writing. And the reason he does is so that they don't use what he said as a checklist in their strength, but to take the truth shared and remember that Christ is the source of our strength, hope, and joy. And so quickly we get the content of the prayer, which is first, Paul seeks to comfort their hearts. You see, Paul is not blind to their suffering, and guess what? He doesn't want to give them temporary relief. He wants to give them something that that is of eternal weight. And so he prays not for relief, but for comfort in the midst of it. That's a way better answer than what I started our time with today. That's a way better than saying, hey, just be tough. He seeks to encourage them of heart. You see, Paul understands that, that the inward benefit of faith, hope, and love means something. It matters. Usually we're just treating the external symptoms when Paul goes to the heart. He says, you want relief? Man, external relief is not what you really need. You need internal relief. And then he establishes them in every good work. Paul prays that God would support and strengthen them as they live out their faith in the now while longing for the future. You see, Paul gets it. He gets that inward comfort leads to, uh, by the power of the Spirit, established outward living. Which is why we see, he says, every good work in word, which is the proclamation of the gospel in word and deed. Comfort leads us not to laziness, but radical living. And so this is my prayer for each of us today. In the face of whatever you're facing, I, I don't know what that is. I know some, some of the things some of you are facing. But in the face of whatever you're facing, today my prayer is that I thank God for his work in you. Knowing that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. For today, if you are in Christ, you can find hope and sit in God's choosing of you as first fruits of salvation. And that in light of that, I pray that you would walk in the Spirit's sanctification, which will bear in the end the glory of the gospel work displayed in your life as you stand firm and hold on to the truth you've been taught through the Word. And that the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father would encourage your hearts in faith, hope, and love while also establishing your outward living in ways that display the gospel to the world around you in word and deed. And so I'm going to have the team come back up. And as they make their way back up, this is how I want us to respond today. Today, I want you to just take a moment to ask yourself, today, do you need to sit today? 
Maybe today, like you've been trying and run, maybe, maybe you're, it's not that you're actively pursuing all these different things. Maybe you're running from Jesus and you need to just submit to him and sit at his feet today and give your life to him. You need to stop striving for other things, even if you don't have all the answers. He is the answer. But maybe today you're following Jesus and you find yourself, man, standing and running and going and it's relentless and you just need to sit and stop striving. Secondly, how do you need to allow sanctification of spirit to have its work in you today? What does God want to do in your heart today? Stop pushing off the things that he wants to do because it might be uncomfortable and you'd rather have temporary relief than gospel relief. Next, you need to stand firm and hold on to the word today. And if you do, is it because you need to let go of other things you hold on to? But also, if you do, that you would do it in community. That you would read the word, but not alone. That you would grow together. You would be a part of a missional community. That you would get an equip and you say, hey, I want to be shaped by this. I don't understand it. None of us understand all of it. But it's what we need. And then, Lastly, do you need comfort in establishing? Do you find yourself weary and broken and heavy laden today? If so, I encourage you first to go to God today. But secondly, I encourage you to go to someone else today. Someone that you know and share with them. Don't wait. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. As I get ready to pray for us, if you're handing out, uh, presenting the elements for communion today, if you'll go ahead and come forward, we're going to do two things. We're going to share in communion. As we share in communion today, what we're doing is remembering the rest that we have in Jesus. That He is our rest because He gave His life. And so we do this in remembrance of Him. But it's not a stagnant rest. That, that our lives would be, every time we share in community, that we would be re, reinvigorated, rejuvenated, maybe even refocused on the reality of the gospel and what it means for our daily living. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to that. Today, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, we ask that you abstain, not to shame you, but to say, hey, we want to talk to you about what it means to sit before Jesus, to have life in Him, to understand this before you share in it. And then after everyone's come forward, you can come down the middle and make your way back to your seat. I'll lead us in the sharing of communion. And then we're going to sing about the reality that Jesus is the King of Kings and what it means for the church today. So let me pray for us. When I get done praying, you can begin to make your way to receive communion. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the good news of the gospel, hope that is found only in you. God, we thank you for your love choosing to send your son and choosing to call people unto yourself broken, wicked sinners who are dead in our sin, that you give us life Holy Spirit, we thank you for sanctifying us for not allowing us just to to be but God to uh, take that and to transform us and make us more and more into the image of Jesus and so Lord, I pray for this church God, that we would be a people uh, that are uh, that, that stand firm and hold on that are comforted in heart and strengthened in spirit, but are motivated to live radical lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.